I watch him, he, he's taking like the last bite and shoving all of this pizza in his mouth. And then when I ask his phone number, I watch him spit all of the pizza back out into his hand so that he can answer <laughs> me. And it was so awful. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that gives thanks on this special holiday episode where we have... You really had to think of what to say there. Yeah, because I was trying something new. It didn't work out. Um, do you want to restart or do you want to just go with this? No, this is it. This is the show. You are uh, stepping in for Keith Foster, who lives in San Diego, who could not make it on the episode... Uh, instead, we have friend of the podcast, Ashley, from... Do you want me to say where you're from or not? <laughs> yeah, I'm from Las Vegas. Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, how are you? I'm great. I'm, how are you? I'm, I'm whatever. I'm Cassidy from, <laughs> uh, from the Undisclosed Location in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, and today, Ashley's going to be helping me review the movie The Menu, which opened in theaters... And for the streaming homework, uh, to finish out the month of November, or Noir-vember, as it trends online, the, the film Gaslight, which is currently streaming on HBO Max, probably on, I would imagine, on like the Criterion channel or uh, Turner Classic Movies channel, if you have that, we're going we're gonna to do it. So you were asking me before we started how my Thanksgiving was, but I'm more curious how your Thanksgiving was. It was very low-key. It was just me and Cade, my my boyfriend. We cooked only a chicken, because it's just the two of us, and we made some sides, and it was delicious, and we had, like, the full Thanksgiving spread, but we are, you know, normally we would go out of town or be with family or try to do that, but we're about to go on a cruise um, this Sunday. And so we needed to stay home, get some chores done, do our laundry and get ready to pack and do all of that. So that's why it's a little small Thanksgiving. And, um, but it was really nice and very tasty. Okay, good. So somewhat controversial. There's a lot of people out there in the world who say, Turkey's overrated, chicken's where it's at, even though chicken's super common and you can have it any time of the year. People generally <laughs> only eat turkey around the holidays. Are you pro or anti-turkey? You or know, agnostic? I think it's funny because uh, well, <laughs> huh. I think it's funny because t turkey is a lunch meat that people are eating constantly and yet it when it's like it when it comes to real turkey <laughs> that's not, you know, man-made and condensed into slices, mm -hmm. it's uh I don't know. But actually, I really don't enjoy turkey that much. It doesn't matter how good anyone cooks it. I just think it's blah. And I'd rather have ham, actually. But we had a chicken and we spatchcocked it. And it was delicious and moist. Uh, what is spatchcocking for the uninitiated? It basically means that you are cutting the the chicken lengthwise down the body and then butterflying that entire carcass out so that it is all laying flat on the pan. Yeah. So it cooks through faster 
and juicier. And mm-hmm. you don't just yes. have this, especially with turkey. I know the, turkey and duck, I've seen it done the most with, like on cooking shows. I imagine you can probably do it to any bird. But I know that like for large birds, it's preferable if you can do it. It takes some amount of skill to to right. to be able to work around the bones and everything. But that way you don't just have these huge chunks of super dry white meat, which I'm kind of all about. I sort of like the dryness of white turkey. <laughs> Do you just slather it in gravy? Yeah, I, I everything on my plate on a, on Thanksgiving is gravy friendly. I do not put anything on my plate that will not taste good with gravy. So only savory dishes. I don't mix in my pie or like an ambrosia salad or or I'm not even a yam person. Get the fuck out of here with that. Really? Okay, I didn't Sweet used to potatoes be and yams kid, can go away. And then we had some delicious yams tonight with some marshmallows on the top. Mm. Nasty. horrid stuff horrid (laughs) and even with ham i like ham but i don't like it with too much sweet stuff on like some people cook it with raisins and whatnot i know no what that's not me i've never heard of that you've never seen that before no yeah they'll they'll make like a like a uh some sort of sugary sauce that they'll put on the ham and then there's raisins in it wow Yeah. That's upsetting. So everything on my plate is savory. So then that way I can just take whatever it is and just pour turkey gravy over everything. Sounds good. And that's what I did. Sounds like my kind of plate. Um, what is your favorite side? What is your favorite or (laughs) or your favorite dessert for Thanksgiving? It's pumpkin and apple pie, you know. But definitely my favorite side is green bean casserole. It's just the best. I fucking love it. And I, every year, ask myself, why do I only make this once a year? You can make it any time of the year. Exactly. I'm going to. Like, this is like my New Year's resolution. I'm going to start making it once a month. I feel like that's a resolution you can keep. Yeah. So, so. You got to start small. (laughs) When we're talking green bean casserole, you mean like green beans, long green beans with the cream of mushroom soup. And then topped with yep. the crunchy onions. Yep. Yeah, pretty easy. It is so immensely easy. Anyone can do that. I, I don't so mind tasty. the green bean casserole. It's not my go-to, but I will eat it if it's on the table. I If, I, if it's there, I prefer asparagus. Oh, yeah. As my green side. But as far as desserts I like- go, I, I used to be very anti- uh, pecan pie. I really only liked mm-hmm. chocolate silk pie, and that's about it. Um, but now that I've gotten a you little bit older... You didn't even like fruit pies? Uh, I'm just, generally speaking, not a pie guy. Okay. There's very few pies that I get excited about. But now that I'm getting older, I I actually like and prefer pecan over, you know, uh, pumpkin pie or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm not a big fan of pecan pie because it's just... It's basically just like brown sugar that mm-hmm. you just slice into it, and it's just caramelized sugar. And yeah. I, <laughs> I want a little fruit in my. I like apple pie. Apple pie is my favorite. Pumpkin's like fine. It's like you know that's the thing you have mm-hmm. for Thanksgiving, and then it's like all right, that's done. 
I really like the pumpkin cheesecake from Costco. So if anyone is out there, you know, that it, was it was. Yeah, yeah, it's so delicious. So I've known you for quite a while. And we first met because uh, we both worked at the local video store. Because I was there a couple years before you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a year and a half or so before you worked there. And about a year and a year, year and a half after you left. And you had prepared some questions for that we can both answer in terms of <laughs> yeah, I just what the video store experience was for both of us. Right. Um, it's. I mean, I was like really bashing my head against the wall trying to think of a segment idea, and then I asked Cade when he came home, and he was just like, "Well, you guys both used to work at a video store. Why don't you guys talk about that?" And I was like, "Oh my god." How did this not occur to me? <laughs> right. I mean, they don't yeah. even have video stores in most places anymore. Yes. And when I came on board, which was 2010, yep. um, that was when the Blockbuster and Hollywood video closed in our town. So literally, Kane B Video Stop was the only uh, video store in town. And business boomed right as I was hired. And so it was it was a busy time. Oh, yeah. You had to hit the ground running. I remember that. Uh, We had to have like a special meeting for how we were to set expectations for the influx of customers that were once going to the other major video chains. But before you ask your first question, I remember I was actually out of town when you got hired. There was like a few people. You were like in a succession of people they had hired who didn't work out over like two weeks. Yes. Like we went to like one after another, after another, that, that spot just could not get filled because people. And I had been trying so hard to get hired. I constantly, like every time I would come in and say, Hey, are you guys, I sent in an application. Like, are you, are you guys still doing interviews? They would always be like, Oh, we just hired someone. But then three weeks later they'd be hiring again. Right. So like I ca- I missed it like twice and then the third time some girl from McDonald's um quit <laughs> A&B and went back to McDonald's and I was like I don't know I just swooped in there and our manager was like basically my interview went like this please tell me you're not going to quit I'm not going to quit okay you're hired <laughs> Yeah for real I'm well one of the people they hired um was also named Cassidy and I felt personally responsible for how bad of an employee he was because he was my namesake and I was supposed to train him to be the best, but he could not figure anything out. Over and over again, I would show him the right way to do something and he would purposely do it wrong. It was like having a bad pet. So, what do they call that now? Um, incompetence? What is oh, it called though? Quiet quitting. <laughs> Not quite quitting, but, you know, it's like the thing. Oh, my gosh. This is going to bother me. Weaponized incompetence. I don't think that's what it was. I think he was actually just very not smart. You said he was purposely doing it wrong, which, you know, weaponized incompetence is strategic and pretending to be incapable or insufficient at some tasks so that someone else will do it for you. I mean, that could have been part of it. I think it was that he didn't want to figure it out so that... So that when he did it and messed up, he couldn't blame it on us. I don't know. It was bad. But I I went to a music festival 
in Washington, went to the Saskatchewan Music Festival 2010, came back, and you were hired. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you stuck around. You were there. I mean, I definitely remembered when you were just a customer. Um, You didn't talk much. And for some reason in my head, you were always wearing a winter coat and a beret. Does that sound right? Wow, I did not own a beret, unfortunately. (laughs) I think you had a beret. <laughs> like I was a, probably wearing like a slouchy like a Carrie Russell in Felicity Beret. <laughs> I mean, I'll take that. She's beautiful. But yeah, what were your questions? <laughs> All right, so I've come up with five questions, and we're gonna just relive some memories and kind of tell some funny stories. So, question one is: What is your worst customer interaction? Now, the rest of the story is I I have a terrible memory for this specific period of time. I don't know why. Like, there's things I remember. Like, certain things stand out. But, um, uh, like, you gave an example of something when you brought this up that I totally don't remember happening. Uh, Oh, your embarrassing moment thing? My embarrassing moment. Yeah. I have have another one, though, in case that's on your questionnaire. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I had... This one guy who used to come in with his girlfriend and I would say all of us, you know, all of the employees had their, their preferred customers. Like we had our little like fan groups who they either trusted our taste more than others or they liked the conversations we would have or whatever. And there was this one guy who, for whatever reason, imprinted on me who was not all there, I would say. And sometimes it was worse than other times. Like he was, he, he, he was very erratic and sometimes he would be kind of chill, but a little too intense. And then sometimes he would, he would act like, I don't know, like he was bouncing off the walls and like laughing at jokes. I weren't even, I wasn't even telling. And He just made me very uncomfortable, especially towards the end of when I was working there. And I got to the point where if I saw him come in, I would have to go do something or make myself busy with another customer so he wouldn't bother me. Yeah, that sounds like a terrible customer interaction. Yeah, I mean, but it it wasn't like one incident in per se. And, 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 you know, for all accounts, he thought I was cool. He just thought I was too cool. It, it, It got weird. Yeah. There was a there was a boundary issue between me and this this person. Yeah. I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but uh the story that I want to share is one that happened fairly soon after I started working there and maybe that's why I remember it. It's just seared in my brain and it really made me realize like okay, like that's what this job is and that is what I'm going to have to expect sometimes. So, this man comes up to the counter to rent his movie and he's wearing like this tattered wife beater that's raggedy with holes that are like big holes that are showing his like pot belly stomach Mm -hmm. and he's like raggedy like maybe like 60 years old like he's got this scraggly gray beard Mm -hmm. and he's eating a slice of pizza and he sets the movie on the counter and I go you know hi um what's your phone number and I 
watch him put all of the pizza in his mouth, like the pizza crust. Like he he's taking like the last bite and shoving all of this pizza in his mouth. And then when I ask his phone number, I watch him spit all of the pizza back out into his hand so that he can answer <laughs> me. And it was so awful. Just and, for, just um, for context <sighs> for the listeners, you were asking his number to pull up his account, not because you were like hitting on him. <laughs> That's right. He came up to the counter, and the way that we get into the customer database or whatever is by phone number. So yeah, if they if they forgot their little scanner card or whatever, yeah, right, which, which was no all one the had time. those. Yeah, um, <laughs> there was like probably two customers that had a a member card it, or bothered to remember to bring it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but he just spit out his pizza in his hand to tell you his to tell you his information. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Oof. that was, uh, and I was just like, uh, 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 like, I wanted to tell him like, oh, no, I can wait until you finish that. Um, But no, like it was done. And he started talking to me. <laughs> and I just got him out of there as quick as I could. And then, you know, tried to calm down. That is rough. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't think I was there for that one. Um, <laughs> All right, what's your other questions? Okay, so number two is embarrassing moment. So do you, you have one, you said? Yes. So the embarrassing moment that I remembered, uh, we, we, we had a regular who came in who was of Middle Eastern descent. Um, but he was fairly Americanized. Uh, you know, he, he didn't really speak with like much of an accent or anything. I think he was a college kid, whatever. He was friends with one of the guys we worked with. Uh, and he, he would come in and talk a lot. So it wasn't, uncommon to see him but i guess i didn't know him by name and so part of the customer interaction is you ask the phone number you pull up the account then you ask their name and then after they can confirm that you are on the correct account then you would go on and ring them up uh and i say you know what's your number blah 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 i put it in and they say are you aj and he said my name is aj what's oh my gosh what's funny is that i my embarrassing story is also uh, a mispronounced situation with a customer <laughs> right but Aj. i Aj. yeah i was i was trying to be like culturally sensitive and my like uh white liberal guilt was like pushed back into my face right. that's great <laughs> mine was uh, a customer whose name was Colin, but it was spelled C-O-L-O-N. So I pulled up the account and I said, Colin? Like, <laughs> your large intestine? And he he was like, no, my name's Colin. And then his wife was like, this always happens. And I was like, mortified. <laughs> felt very bad. But it was mostly her uh, trying to, like, I don't know, shame him or, like, prove this point right. Like, I don't know. It was some kind of beef that they had going on between them. And, yeah, it was like she'd been trying to Colin. convince him for years to change his name or change yeah, the spelling. just change the spelling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, you, uh, yeah. did you actually say, like, your large intestine? No. Okay, I was going to say, you kind of had that coming if you did say that. Um, or I guess they're semicolon, colon, uh, yeah. Well, Colin Powell is a person. I don't think he spells That's, it yeah. that way, but I think he spelled it A-N. That doesn't seem right. It's spelled Colin, like C-O-L-I-N. Oh, but he pronounces it Colin, or everybody does. That's Wait, weird. That's 
No, that's the former Secretary of State. So that's yeah. not who I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a... How do you spell the Colin Powell? Yeah, that's how everyone says it, but it's spelled C-O-L-I-N. Oh, it is C-O-L-I-N. Okay, so that's that's that. So it's like the opposite of what happened to you. Question three is, well, let me preface this by saying, when we would work at the video store, whoever was working that day, you could choose a movie to put on all of the screens that were around the store. So we would we would choose a movie and, it you know, it was nice to have your pick and you could put on something that made you happy and it made work go by a little faster. So question three, what was your favorite movie to watch at work? Oh, um, I had my go to's, you know, and they changed depending on who I was working with. Um, sure. I mean, I watched Clueless in the store probably a gazillion times. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think when we got Step Up 3D, that really changed the game. Still to this day, those are some of my my most cherished memories of watching Step Up 3D in the in the video store for like the better part of two years. This is the third movie that doesn't have uh, what's his face in it. This is the second movie who doesn't have. Um, Wait, why is the second movie called 3D? No, it isn't. Um, so there's Step Up, which starred Channing Tatum. That's right. Step Up to the Streets. That's right. Which, and then Step Up 3D. And then Step Up 3D. So, <laughs> But Channing Tatum is only in the first one, as far as I know. But what was it about the third one that you really loved? Oh, everything. Okay. I mean, the music, the choreography... It just, when you put it on, it made the place feel like a party. That's great. And, I mean, I, I think John M. Chu is, like, a a genuinely talented filmmaker. And even though those movies are kind of hokey in their own way, he has proved me correct by becoming a fairly successful director in his own right, now having done Crazy Rich Asians and um, In the Heights. Yeah, did you like that movie? I did. Yeah, it's enjoyable. Yeah. I think it's always a good move to go with something that has music um, for watching it at the store. Right. It made work go by faster. Yeah, because I I just remember like around Halloween, you wanted to play Eraserhead and it's black and white. And it was just the gloomiest fucking experience. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My my favorite movie to watch was Hairspray. The remake. For the same reason. Yeah, like the musical version from 2007. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. We were just talking about John Waters in the last episode that I recorded with Keith. um, And he was telling me he had never seen the original one with Ricky Lake. uh, Or any other John Waters film, for that matter. Um, But uh, he had said that he had seen the remake. Yeah. Hairspray has mostly all upbeat songs, and like I, like you said, it just makes it feel like a party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you can be dancing up and down the aisles as you're putting movies away. I don't remember you playing that a lot when I was working with you, so that must have not uh, been on your short list for when we were working together. For whatever reason. I, I, I really don't remember what I chose half the time, except for when I got in trouble for trying to play to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Yeah. But yeah, I probably put on Clueless. 
any teen movie really, as long as it was yeah. like PG thirteen or below, those were an easy go to because they're short, yeah. they're fun, they're nostalgic, they make everybody happy, and always Isn't the it worst. Weird to think that the worst situation what? is when you put something on and then somebody wanted to rent it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you'd have to take it out, and yeah. if that was our only copy, that was that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. So, question four. This is kind of a two-parter. What do you miss most about working there, and what do you what did you hate the most about working there? I mean, you know, just the good times, I guess. Like, uh, broadly speaking, I liked working around movies. I mean, I, you know, kind of do that still to, a, to an extent, but it's more solitary. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, I like working at a video store. I wanted that job for a long time before I had it. Um uh, you know, every once in a while, I've, I've, I've seen various interviews with Quentin Tarantino, and he talks about his days of working at Video Archives, the video store on Manhattan Beach that him and Roger Avery worked at before they were famous. And when he first started putting out films in the early 90s, the narrative was often, you know, Tarantino learned about film that uh, that being working at a video store was his film school. He didn't go to traditional film school. He learned every, the tricks of the trade from working at the video store. And he said, you know, he'd be the first one to call bullshit on that narrative. <laughs> he said, no, I worked at the video store because I already knew a lot about movies. And that's how I got the job. But his he says what what it was for him was he got to be the town's film critic and he got to argue (laughs) for against different movies that people were renting or get into passionate conversations with people and it was his village voice or it was his uh new yorker uh that he got to got to do which is timely now that he's uh just put out his first book of film essays so yeah, yeah i guess it was part of that you know working there that kind of Gave me the critic bug a little bit. Um, And also just being around movies, talking about movies. It's a cool job. It's not a job that pays anything, but it's a cool job. I think it was very coveted in our hometown. It was a cool place to be. There was a lot going on. Next door, there was like this pizza joint. And then literally next door, there was the convenience store. So there's always people going in and out of there. And friends that would come and say hi to us and hang out for a bit and chat. It was a fun place to be. Yeah. Um, and then you said what I don't miss. Yes. What was, what was something that you really hated about the job? Uh, working nine hours without a break. Yeah. We, we, we kind of didn't have breaks, but we kind of did. I don't know. Like if you, if you were there, super illegal. Yeah, the way the way that we were doing it was definitely not up to par. We didn't get to clock out for lunch, so we'd have to just it sit at a table where we could still see the counter to know if somebody needed help or eat at the counter. So there was that. There was also if you had to call in for whatever reason and you we were forced to to arrange everything. We had to like find our replacement and call everybody you know who works and try and figure out everybody's schedule to make, to move mountains, to get a day off. Like, 
So that kind of stuff I I don't like. I'm but I've had those kind of situations at other places too, not just the video store. Right. That's just that's just life in minimum wage. Yeah, I thought you were going to say cleaning the men's bathroom because I heard that that's a horrid place. Oh, I, I, I don't remember cleaning the bathrooms a lot. I I I never found anything too vile. I've heard stories. There were times when people had to clean some serious stuff up. I never had anything like that. I would just like go in there, swift, 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 put a little of the blue stuff in the toilet, swish, 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 flush, and then walk out. That was yeah. I could do it in in five minutes. Yeah. But I never like walked in and saw like World War Three like some people had. <laughs> there was no shit just splattered all up the wall. Yeah, I know and I would have refused if if that had happened. Um, what? You would have well, just made the other coworker do it? For sure. Yeah. Damn. And what what about That's you? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I miss most? I I do just miss the atmosphere. It was fun and it was cool. And the movie Clerks, I feel like is is a really good representation of that life. You're you're kind of close with the cool coworkers that you like and you you're hanging out and you you see these stereotypes of the customers come in and you're just hanging out. Um so yeah. I think it was a cool it was definitely a cool job and great to have um in college around that age. Mm-hmm. What did I hate most about the job? Yeah, it probably was just working long hours you know not getting home until like eleven thirty, then having to do your homework then go to school at 8 a.m the next morning <laughs> yeah there's some things i remember because i was in college at the time too where i would have have to go home and write a whole ass essay Ugh. at eleven thirty. i don't know how i did it i don't either and I mean- our schedules were always changing that was a, the big reason why I left that job, because I would have stayed on had I had a, a bit more say in my in in my work schedule. But I really wanted weekends off after I started dating Cade and I wanted to hang out with him. So I quit so that I could have a job that was Monday through Thursday. Right. And I don't regret it. All right. So the last one is what's your favorite memory? Do you have something specific that is really special to you? And kind of sits in your heart. Hmm. I can tell mine while you're thinking of one. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I was working and it was 2010, like September, November, October, somewhere around there. And I was working with Keely, who's our mutual friend, and... We're working, it's busy. All of a sudden, this tall man comes in who's six foot four and he just towers over everyone else. And Keely goes running and jumps into his arms and he catches her. And, you know, they're hugging because he's been gone for several months um, working uh, out of state for the summer. And I just was immediately enraptured with this tall beefcake who who was you know like my friend was jumping in his arms and it was just like i wish that was me who is this person and i come to find out that it's a mutual friend of yours and pretty much all of your friend group and Mm -hmm. he lived literally a block away he lived on the corner and then the parking lot over that was the parking lot where our 
business was. And so he lived 30 seconds away and he would come in often. And I was really, really shy. And, um, you know, I was used to like people not really noticing me or talking to me. And I was fine with that. I was cool with being a shadow and just being in the background. But Kate always made a point to say hi to me and kind of tease me out of my shell a little bit. And that is kind of where it all began. And then we went out for St. Patrick's Day. And a few weeks after that, we started hanging out. And the rest is history. We've been together 11 years. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm, I don't have, I can't think of anything like as life altering as that. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't expect you to. <laughs> I mean, I was there for a while, but what immediately comes to mind is like an example of a good time I had there is when yeah. me and, uh, co-worker Sean, who's also a friend of the podcast, we, it was a particularly slow day and we uh, just started inventing sports all over the store. So it started out with this little rubber bouncy ball that came out of one of the like coin machines and we were trying to like shoot, make shots, like uh, jump shots or trick shots into the candy dispensers. And then it evolved into throwing a large rubber ball into the wall of new releases and deciding like how many points <laughs> like a dartboard each <laughs> each row counted as. And we did that for the better part of the entire shift. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that one. Movie ball. It, it was always fun working with Sean because he was always up to no good. And yet he never got in trouble for anything. It was really unfair. But at the same time, he was so goddamn charming that he right. got away with it. And he had he had he was the one who had the most fans. Yes, absolutely. His Teenage girls group. coming yeah. in fawning over him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of good memories. Just it, like hanging out with everyone after work, mm -hmm. you know, shooting the shit and um it was a special time that I'll never forget. And hopefully I would love to write, I don't know, a TV series that's about that time. <laughs> Do you remember? There's a show. Fun to have. There's a show on, I think on Netflix, uh, ironically enough, about Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, God damn it. Someone took my idea. I, I don't think so. I think I could make it my own thing. Well, but Yeah. It's it's a special job, and I'm really glad that I met you there. And, you know, here we are all these years later, still friends. And I have to say, uh, I have to share one extra memory, which is that I had not seen Star Wars when I was 20 years old and got hired at K&B. And so you said, you have to watch Star Wars in order to work here. <laughs> so you went to the trouble of getting, you know, free rental coupons from the convenience store next door and you made sure to give me all of the movies and made sure that I watched them. So thank you for that, because now I I am a Raylo hardcore. So I'm very glad to be part of that <laughs> fandom. And it's all because of you. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that was a, a trip down memory lane. And to think there are kids, you know, Zoomers these days, who have never experienced what it's like to go to a video store and pick out a movie and have conversations with other human beings about what you're going to rent and not being able to get it because it's out. 
Right. That was my Friday ritual. Even from the time when I was a little, little girl, I would go to the Smith's grocery store, video rental store with my dad, and mm-hmm. he would let me pick out one movie and one treat. And so it, it really felt like, yeah, that was the culmination of me wanting to work at the video store. It's a, it's a special thing to like go and have your pick. I still have this theory that they're, the video stores are going to come back in a in like a niche like oh yeah you know how like how record stores are in again mhm it'll be like a specialty kind of thing like you don't have to go obviously but for the people who want that experience they might start popping up in in cities again i don't know weirder things have happened apparently kids on tiktok are getting into buying cd's for the nostalgia <laughs> yeah yeah All right, let's go ahead and start talking about the movie that we watched this weekend. And that is the dark comedy, The Menu. Yes. I'll go ahead and describe this. The Menu is about an elite class of people who are invited to offshore location, um, specialty restaurant, that's ran by a world-famous chef uh, named Chef Slovic, played by Ray Fiennes, who has prepared a very conceptual multi-course dinner that is supposed to tell a story. That, you know, you don't know what it, the story is until you've had every course. And we first are introduced to this concept through Nicholas Holt. And Anya Taylor-Joy, who play Tyler and Margot. Tyler is very excited about this. You can definitely tell this was sort of his idea to come to this place. Um, He considers himself something of a foodie, um, an amateur foodie. But he's read up about this. He he has expectations. Margot's more kind of along for the ride, but supportive. And we meet a whole cast of other characters. uh, Snooty... Food critics, young venture capitalists, uh, a movie star played by John Leguizamo who wants to start like a a uh, diners, uh, drive-ins and dives slash maybe it's more like an Anthony Bourdain a, a, kind of an Anthony Bourdain yeah, like travel yeah. series, um, or, or or at least talking up the idea with his date and and along the way we uh, learn more and more about this. About this meal as they, you know, they go from one course to the next and the food is, uh, starts out unusual, but in the realm of possibility. Uh, Certainly off the beaten path, but there's, every course kind of has a a preamble that Ray Fiennes goes through. He talks about what, what the course means, what you're supposed to be getting out of it, whether it's, you know, weird little plants that grow on a rock or some sort of sea foam, something or other in a shell all the way up through the main courses. And as they go through, they begin to realize that their access to this, to this night at this restaurant is tied in very closely with sort of the greater point that Ray Fine's character, the chef is trying to make turning everything against them and pointing out their hypocrisy and their elitism, sort of this ultimate resentment 
that he has as a restaurateur to the type of privilege that he caters to every day. I guess that's the that's the story in broad strokes. I don't want to give away too much because it is sort of a ride. But going into the movie, what were you expecting it to be? And and would you say it kind of met up with those expectations? Well, first of all, reading the summary that was on the AMC app was saying something about the menu being unusual and special. So my immediate thought was cannibalism somehow. <laughs> But I, I, you know, I'm totally pleasantly happy to have it not be that situation. It was actually just, you know, animal products and plants and fruit. (laughs) Um, But uh, I was definitely expecting a a kind of like the most dangerous game situation because they're all on an island. They take a ferry to get there and there's no boat, like no one's coming back to get them. Um, So I thought that they were going to be hunted down for sport. Right. Yeah. But um, but I didn't know what more to expect at all. And man, I just absolutely loved it. And it was fantastic. It's a ride. It's very fun. Yeah, you know, the the humor in here is really dry. And I think mm-hmm. it doesn't reveal itself immediately. Like you kind of get the idea that everybody on this island is insufferable. And I think those points are made pretty obviously, especially by... Nicholas Holt's character and how how much of like a doe-eyed puppy dog he is to the whole thing and sort of how annoyed everybody <laughs> is with him. Um, and, you know, these long conversations about how these products are sourced and how careful the the uh, the kitchen works on them. And everybody has like uh, glass, like goggles and tweezers to put everything on the plate in perfect place and um, you have a, I think you have this really great performance by uh, Hong Hong Chow as uh, the main waitress at the restaurant, and she, I think she, both her and Fines, but her in particular, I think knows exactly how to sell the satire while never, mm-hmm. while staying fully committed to their character. Like they're never winking at the camera; they feel very much. Right integrated in the story but everything they say and and the way they say it is perfectly pitched to the tone of the film uh and i and i think for the most part everybody is is doing that and some of them are just doing fish out of water shtick especially john legazamo's character and and some people feel like they belong there a little bit more than others of course Anya Taylor-Joy has sort of an air of mystery about her and more and more about her character is revealed as the story goes through and you find out she's more sort of the protagonist. Uh, She's great in this as well. And this is uh, maybe one of her more challenging roles because Thoroughbreds is kind of in this area, in this dark comedy satire to a certain extent. But I think here everybody has to play their character exactly right for the comedy to land and not not seem overly simplistic or reductive and not give away too much with their reactions. Yeah. So it's right. They they have to be really in control of how much they reveal. Right. Because um, it is 
Yeah. The whole, the story the entire time is ramping up with each course because mm-hmm. there's several and that's the movie. The movie is you watching these people eat these courses and the story progresses and it's always um, building. And that takes real skill to maintain that tension. Right. Um, not just in the story and the performance, but yeah, what these actors are saying or how much they're revealing about themselves. Right. And it's also very minimal. I mean, it's basically all one set, mm-hmm. um, you know, with some uh, exteriors. But for the most part, we're in this restaurant with very wide open access to the kitchen. We can see what the chefs are doing all, at all times. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of pushing the story through dialogue, but there's a lot of just like who's glancing at who, who's noticing who. From table right. to table. There's almost like two stories going on simultaneously. There's the one of everyone's reaction to what's happening and the way they react vocally. And then there's the there's the, a little bit more of a sort of semi-Hitchcockian paranoia thriller happening underneath the satire. Yeah. Yeah. I watched a, uh, a YouTube interview with the director who... Uh, said that they shot in sequential order, um, which is pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also uh, had everyone on set every day, all the time. And the camera was always rolling. And um, so you you had to stay in character because you never really knew when you were going to be caught on camera. So I think it was, they set it up very much like a theater performance, which I think yeah. you, can, you can tell the level of depth and... Um, the connection that the people, whoever's sitting with their other person at the table, there's um, a level of connection and intimacy that's, it just feels so built in um, Mm -hmm. and real. Like you could definitely Mm -hmm. adapt this for the stage pretty easily. You just move your spotlight to whichever table you want to spotlight for that particular conversation. Um, If you, I mean, that's like, I don't know anything about stage direction. Maybe that's like the most basic thing anyone's ever said about how to do something like that. But yeah, the mood, it, 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 it doesn't surprise me that that's, that it feels the way it does given the conditions that the director decided to go with that. Um, and I look, you know, I looked in his background. He's not particularly well known. His name's Mark Mylod and he's done a lot of television. He some episodes of Succession, Game of Thrones, Shameless, an episode of Amazing Stories, Entourage. He's pretty much been kicking around on TV. Same with the writers. This is a very stylized, auteurish kind of film. So I, I hope he continues to make challenging, interesting work and doesn't just pick up the next big Marvel project or whatever and then disappear into that world. But... I mean, the Succession, Game of Thrones, um, you know, those are, and Shameless, those are huge, uh, well known and critically acclaimed shows. So, mm-hmm. yeah, kudos to him. Yeah, and Seth Reese <laughs> uh, slash uh, Will Tracy, who wrote this. My only criticism, I think some sometimes the satire is a little overstated. I think if you boil everything down, no pun intended, but if you boil everything down to what it's ultimately saying, 
it's it's not as highfalutin as the movie would have you believe. It's it, it's messaging is actually pretty straightforward, slobs versus snobs kind of stuff. Um, and and I, I mean, think, so you don't want to go into spoiler territory, right? If we can avoid it, okay. Uh, I th- I think you know films like American Psycho that are sort of in this ballpark manage to have a, a few more dimensions to it than this one, but still it's an experience as you know a showcase, um, and as as just uh, an interesting sort of exercise, like uh, style exercise. I. I thought it was really entertaining, really engaging, and really funny, actually. And it progressively got funnier once you were in on the joke. Yeah. And they everybody sort of drops their guard more and more, um, and the stakes get higher and higher. It becomes almost absurd, but but very funny. Yeah, there was so much dark humor. Um, and... Upon second watch, you'll notice a lot of things that line up to be um, a punchline later on. That's mm-hmm. that's just fantastic. You know, um, yeah, so like I, d- I don't want to go spoiler if that's not what we're doing. But I do think that the whole message is basically eat the rich, even, even though it's not about cannibalism. <laughs> cannibalism but right. it's, it's basically like an us versus them mentality. And, you know, the the rich eat up the working class and discard them without thinking or caring. And it's a a statement about the type of people that are coming to this restaurant and can afford to eat this food. Right. But it's it's also an exploration of Tyler's character being an armchair expert. Mm-hmm. and that he he proclaims to have, you know, certain gastronomic gadgets at home that he makes, you know, really great food with. And I think that uh, you come to find out that he's probably um, a bit of a talking funny. way more than he can do the walking. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's uh, such an amazing, perfect metaphor about how people on the internet proclaim to be experts on things that they've only read about. And it's a front for clout and people are so desperate for their opinion to matter and to be perceived online that they want to have a voice. And, you know, like it's very interesting and funny to me that Twitter is, you know, sinking slowly. Like as I, you know, as this movie's coming out, I think that's, that couldn't have been more well-timed because it's funny to see this this app. Uh, I mean, first of all, it's funny to see Elon Musk failing and losing a fortune. <laughs> um, and it, it, it feels really apt that this movie is commenting all, all of that. But more so, too, that it's that consumer culture and critic culture has overrun things like Twitter. And it's not enough anymore to just enjoy the art we have to go and we have to talk online about the art and we have to dissect it and we have to pull it all apart until it almost doesn't make sense anymore and then we have to you know give a grade on it which i I think that that's such an amazing thing to be doing 
when we're talking about food, but we're also, I, th- I think there's a deep irony that you and I are sure reviewing this movie and we're talking about it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're no better than Nicholas Holt's character. Yeah. The other film I was going to mention, the other couple films that I was going to mention that I think have played in these waters a little bit is, uh, a little bit with Fight Club in the anti-consumerism kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and the social commentary. And then this is almost feels like the the dark side of the uh, Ratatouille story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Critiquing food to death so that it's not yeah. an enjoyable thing anymore. The, the chef doesn't enjoy cooking. People don't really enjoy eating. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm, total, I'm totally aware of the irony of, you know, reviewing a film like this. This is a movie that wants to be review-proof. I will engage, nevertheless. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I understand, you know, the point. Um, and I'm not offended by it. I, I think, you know... No, I think I think we all just need to take a healthy dose of um, looking at all of the ways that we're screaming online to, to be heard and be perceived. And maybe we just don't, not everyone needs to have a voice and not everyone needs to be having an opinion on everything in the world all the time. That's true. I think that's my favorite thing about it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that was, you know, certainly true of, of certain characters in here, but not all of them. Um, And, and I think, you know, the, the Ray Fiennes character is, there's more dimensionality there than I think fully comes out or there's more dimensionality there implied. And maybe that's in part because of his performance. And then there's some things we learn about the character kind of in the background of the story. I don't think that any of the things that the movie is saying is invalid or, or doesn't land per se. I just, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes it can be a little on the nose. I guess is my is my criticism. Yeah, I you know I'm not saying that I I enjoyed it, but if somebody saw this movie and thought it was it that it was becoming the thing that it was critiquing, I would not. That's not a take that I would necessarily disagree with either. Uh, When I got out of the movie theater, there was a couple of girls that also went into the restroom, and they were like. One of them was like, I don't know what I expected, but that was not it. And they basically <laughs> just didn't like the movie. They said it was terrible. And so I I think that's an interesting... I, I wish I'd, you know, maybe... Inc- I don't know. I didn't want to, like, stop and talk to people in the bathroom. But I just think that's an interesting take immediately after you get out. It, if it made you uncomfortable, it, like, what what's that about? I think that people should dig into that more. I think that... Well, they don't really know what to make of it, and they can't really explain why. It I I had no idea. I would have I would have no idea how this movie would be. Honestly, I'm very surprised it was made because it's the exact type of movie that's practically impossible to market. Because what do you sell this as? Do you sell it as a comedy? Do you sell it as a thriller? Do you sell it as a horror film? I think they were well, trying it's, to it's kind of as a horror comedy. Yeah, I think they were. I think they were angling with the marketing. I think they were angling more for the knives out on audience, which is maybe the most like crowd pleasing version of something like this. But uh, it's not that, and it's not a film that is 
particularly friendly to the audience because it's telling you it's kind of telling you off um and some people really don't like that from movies especially yeah. if they are targeted directly like like you know if Elon Musk or uh uh Gary V or any one of those other one of those billionaire phonies went to this movie I'm sure they would they would uh hire hitmen to kill the filmmaker or something whatever rich people do um yeah, this is. I'm surprised the movie was made. I'm surprised it was a wide release, and I'm glad it did. And yeah. I don't know how well the movie's doing. Probably not great, if we're being honest. But I do uh, recommend that people see it, and I think that it's it's interesting and funny and full of great performances, and it is a little cold and challenging. You know, don't go in expecting a knee slapper and don't go in expecting like uh, a, a gore factory base horror film either. It's neither one of those things, but it has elements of both. Uh, I yeah, give it a, I, a, 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 a B, by the way. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I really don't. I hate rating things. I, I just think it's like art is meant to be enjoyed. I know, I know. That's that. <laughs> I didn't but do I it for a long time, and I, then people said they liked the rating, but... Sure. I, yeah, and I get, you know, I get that it's useful to have some kind of scale. I would give it an A. Um, I think that it is f- so funny, and the horror is never overwhelming. There's, you know, there's not jump scares. There's nothing like that. It's way more sophisticated, and it's... Um, I, yeah, I just think it's a joy to watch. And I think it's a message that we all need to think about and, um, yeah, like reflect how that is applicable to our own lives. Just finding the joy in thing without having to post about it or, you know, watch every YouTube reviewer, like looking at you, cinema sins. <laughs> we don't have to do that. We can just enjoy the thing. The end. Yeah. That's, so, that's true. That's, that's true. Uh, that's what I'm taking from it. I, I, I think it's even poking fun at something a little bit more, less populist than even cinema sins. Like something more like the, the Instagram influencer world. You know who, you know supermodels who go and get invited to take pictures at some new club just so that they can post about it. And bring right. in, bring in people just through an uh, endorsement, a paid endorsement, essentially. You know, there's mm-hmm. a there's a Nicholas Holt's character's explicitly told not to take pictures of his food, and that's all he wants to do. Is, yep, and he does it anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's a little Willy, a little bit of Willy Wonka in this. There's yeah. a little, there's in a way, this is sort of like the adult Willy Wonka story. Yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> that's great. I mean, that's what Raul Dahl was essentially doing. He was he was doing satire for children. Mm-hmm. Dark satire, usually. It's not the typical, you know, three-act movie, but it's... I, I think it holds your hand enough that you get the message, uh, but it's not so, you know, pandering that it's uh, too obvious or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's great. I think everyone should see it. Cool. 
Let's move on to the final review then, which is Gaslight. This was the movie that I had us watch, especially for your appearance, um, because I did want to participate in Noir Bimber. And this is a famous one that I've never seen. And I've always meant to. Um, Famously, this is where the term gaslighting comes from, a term a lot of people use these days, sometimes inaccurately. But uh, go ahead and give us the description. What happens in Gaslight? Gaslight is about a young woman who um, falls in love with a man. They have a whirlwind romance and they get married and they move back to London into uh, her childhood home where she grew up with her aunt who was killed there. And... um, the plot of the movie is watching the man manipulate his wife and strategically push her into believing that she is going insane and losing her mind so that he can steal from her. Yes. Ingrid Bergman stars in the film. A lot of people know her from um, Casablanca, of course, but she's the female lead here. Charles Boyer plays her, the manipulator in question. Joseph Cotton who is in a lot of Hitchcock movies. Um, he is a side character who comes in here. He's kind of like the um, the detective character that would right. usually be the protagonist of a noir like this, but in this movie, he's more of a... We're seeing it from a different point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. We also get a young Angela Lansbury as the maid Nancy, who's sort of the femme fatale sometimes. Not all the time. She is so great. She's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Ingrid Bergman won Best Actress at the Academy Awards for this performance. Good to know. This is directed by George uh, Kukor, George Kukar, who also did Gone with the Wind. Uh, I think he was uncredited maybe for that. He also did, he was one of the several directors who had a pass on uh, Wizard of Oz, Um, Philadelphia Story. He's a world famous classic cinema director. So this is, you know, I, I, I've mentioned before on the show that during this time period of the 40s and 50s, there were a lot of noirs made. It was sort of the thriller du jour of the time. And, uh, you know, you had the big budget ones and you had the low budget ones that were more like B-movies. This one's a big budget one. This is MGM. This is movie stars. This is... Definitely has, you know, uh, bigger sets and set pieces, costume. It's maybe even a little bit more playful genre-wise because while it has elements of the noir, like, you know, the dramatic lighting and there's some shadowy stuff that happens in the alleyways and stuff. We get a couple scenes like that. Um, there's definitely a psychological element to the film as far as the protagonist goes and the sort of slipping away from reality and what is real and what's not real. And there's a little bit of a crime detective story being told here. There's also a lot of gothic in this as well. Did you feel that? Gothic? Yeah, this feels a little bit like a carryover from like, um, traditional gothic storytelling. 
you yeah, know, I can see that where you have like these aristocrats living in London, you know, going to fancy places and carriage and horse. Like, I think this is a period piece, I would believe, because even by 44, Victorian era, late, yeah. late 1800s. Yeah, this kind of is more sort of in the world of something like Rebecca, as opposed to the cops and robber noirs of the time that were more contemporary. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, so it's, it you know, I was questioning that. I was like, is this, like, am I just, like, looking? Like, maybe it comes later. And then she reveals a, a, a giant portrait of her dead aunt. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, this is a gothic t- story. <laughs> 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 Once you reveal a giant painting of of the dead relative who's literally judging the sins of the house, then... You've uh, you've revealed the your the genre <laughs> origins. That's great. Um, but what did you think of it? I am so glad that we watched this. I'm I'm so glad. Um, it is fantastic. And uh, listener, if you are wary of black and white movies, trust me that this is captivating, and the story is impeccable and sharp and holds up. And it it is well worth the watch. I I really loved it. And I mean, first of all, I'll say if you have ever been gaslit in your life, this is going to be triggering. <laughs> <laughs> I think I spent most of the time just yelling at my screen. And it's <laughs> tough. You you're you're so desperate for everything to come crashing down and to get a reprieve from the madness of it all um, and the indignation of it. And um, yeah, no, it, it holds you for a while and really makes you uncomfortable. And, and you're the audience member looking in and you're watching um, all of it strategically happening. And that is, it's tough to watch. I feel like if this story was told today directly, I'm sure it influenced several movies, but I, I feel like the, 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 uh, if somebody were to tackle it now, there would there would be the desire to do it all from the perspective of Ingrid Bergman so that you could have more of a mystery element to it and like reveal these mm-hmm. things as they go along with the twist. And I, I actually I think this is the better way to tell the story with more of this outside perspective. Show the audience the bomb underneath the table to make them nervous. Yes, I agree. And I do think that it's important that we see occasionally from the point of the of view of the detective, because it you need a break in, be- in between watching this man destroy this young woman. Mm-hmm. You need a break. And so having the detective and knowing that he's working on something kind of gives you a, a bit of relief and hope for, you know, the breakthrough to come. I think yeah. that's necessary. Yeah, there's a there's a fun sort of cast of characters here, and, and including Angela Lansbury and May Whitty as as the uh, you know the different May Whitty. Oh my gosh, <laughs> she was so great, the nosy neighbor. Yeah. Oh my gosh, she really added the the levity and um, the the little bit of comedy to the to the movie. Yeah, and there were some beautiful shots and set design, like. It is, like, all lit by gaslight. I mean, or at least it appeared to be. I'm sure there was mm-hmm. there were floodlights or whatever they were using in the movie. But, um, stage lighting. But there was, it, it's made to look, you know, these dark alleyways that seem to go on forever. 
and these uh, foggy streets of London. And you get that in those scenes in particular, that that sort of uh, Sherlock Holmesy kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that I noticed that I really enjoyed was as the movie progresses and as Paula, the main character, kind of just slowly gets beaten down and is questioning her reality and is, uh, you know, exhausted all the time by all of the gymnastics that she's having to do in her head to try to make sense of her world. The, uh, the, the fog outside gets thicker and Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it just becomes a soup. Um, and by the end of the movie, she's on the roof and she's above it all. And she, it's like, she has a, a clear head and it, it's, I really loved that symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. The movie is in a, in a way the movie is a little ahead of its time in the gender politics, you know? Yeah. Cause usually with the noirs, the women are often kind of painted as duplicitous or evil or, or at the very least the reason things are going wrong. Like a, even if they're not, explicitly have bad intentions it's by chasing a woman down the wrong path that leads them to do something they can't undo or whatever and this one the story is all about this woman living in this sort of patriarchal prison and finding her way to escape now there is like a a male savior who kind of facilitates that so it's not we're not totally there yet (laughs) <laughs> but but it is, you know, she gets her moment, at least. And I wanted that. Yeah. I wanted that last yeah. moment with her fully uh, oh, yeah. realizing oh, the situation yeah. it's so satisfying. and the power she has to take back. Right. It's nice to see there's certain moments where she really does try to stick up for herself as much as she can. Like when she's like, I'm going to go to this party. And mm-hmm. she really stands her ground. And um, you can see the effort that she's trying to make, even just leaving the house to go for a walk. Um, And it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking to see her get beaten down. Um, You know, he can use just a few choice words and she's in a shaking, crying meltdown. Mm -hmm. It's that's that part of it is so hard to watch, but you see her get built up a little bit uh, with a little more conviction and and by the end, she really owns it. And yeah, that it's it's so nice to feel that catharsis for the audience member as well. Agreed. Yeah, uh, this is uh, a movie of note for for reasons. It's it's a good one, and I think you know, just on a genre level, entertaining enough to to carry you through. It's not the most lurid noir of this era. But it is uh, a well-told gothic romance turned crime movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed the... There's a sense of hope at the end. You know, There, this woman is not going to be okay for months or maybe years. It's a slow process of healing from something like that. You have to learn how to listen to your intuition and trust yourself again. And that takes a long time. And it's important to surround yourself with people who validate your feelings and are supportive and understand what you've been through. And Mm. I think it's, 
a real hopeful message at the end um, that I, I think she's got people in her corner uh, to help her do that. And so, it, and it really ends like on a funny note with that nosy neighbor coming in. And um, that's, it's just like such a great way to like end with a lighter tone and hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it, mm. I think it's fantastic. And yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's so wonderful. If they ever did remake it, would you be interested in that? Like, who would you want to see cast? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see the time and place changed. Yeah. Um, you know, as well as, like, the MacGuffin of the story, you know, like these jewels or whatever. Uh, that's it, That could literally be anything. That's what I mean. Like, it, the, the structure of the story, I feel, m- has probably been lifted. Even that movie, um, it's different in a lot of ways, but... I think borrows thematically from it. But you remember that movie, I care a lot. Yeah. That's a great, that's a fun movie. Yeah. I mean, that movie is kind of in a way, sort of a deconstruction of similar ideas. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, if anybody has anything to say about any of the movies that we talked about in this podcast episode or previous, you can reach out to us uh, at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at mcguffinpod. Leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review at whatever podcast app you use. Spotify, uh, Stitcher Radio, uh, I- iTunes, preferably. Um, Wait, why is it only one sentence? You only want one-sentence reviews? It doesn't. I mean, if you want to leave more than that, by all means. But all we need is a, a minimum one sentence just to bump us up on the algorithm. I see. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm asking for as little <laughs> as possible. But if you are inspired to write, you know, several paragraphs <laughs> about how much you love the show, then by all means, please do. Um, yep. Five stars only. Yes, and. <laughs> If you want to reach out to me on social media, I'm on still on Twitter until it stops existing at VC Cassidy. I'm also on Instagram at VC Cassidy. I just signed up to Hive, uh, which is not really popping yet. I don't know if it's going to be the new thing, the uh, new hotness. Did you read about? Did you read about all of the like privacy policy and that like they don't really have protections in place because they're mostly like you know, unskilled and don't know what they're doing. It's like two, it's like a two person operation right now. But I would imagine exactly. if, if the, you know, the amount of people that inflexing in there, they're going to have to scale up. So if it becomes anything, um, you can find me at BC Cassidy there as well. Um, Just saying, be careful what personal information you share on there. Cause they don't really have their privacy policy, like up to par. You're on TikTok, and they've, they've, they've already pretty much, like the FBI's already said that that's like a liability. I, this isn't about me. I'm just telling <laughs> listeners out there: look into Hive before you just sign up and give you know personal information away to any old app. Yeah. I personally don't give a shit. Per- Anyone can look at anything they want. Fair enough. Yeah, I tried Mastodon. I didn't understand it. Um, <laughs> but, but Hive seemed a little bit more manageable. I don't think it's going to be the new hotness, but it certainly wants to be. 
Um, but that's where I'm. Uh, I'm on it at the for the time being. I've posted like three things. Tumblr. Tumblr's gonna have a revival. Just wait. Oh, <laughs> I mean, everyone want this would be the time if if anybody has stock in MySpace still. This would be the time to revive it, you know, redesign it so it looks like it did in 2007. Bring back the scene queens. Learn a little bit of beginner code in order yeah. to figure out your format and your layout just right. Yeah. That's good times. Hire Jeffree Star to start making weird music videos again. Like, we can no, do this. We can do without him. <laughs> Bring back 303. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the... Uh, terrible, like, MySpace grindcore bands with keyboards. Um, so I'm on all the stuff. I also write reviews on the Idaho State Journal. You can look that up by Googling Idaho State Journal Movie Reviews or Idaho State Journal uh, Arts and Entertainment. You'll see the archives there. Uh, and be sure to look, to read the other articles and reviews by the rest of the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. Um, do you have anything you want to promote? Any, you have things. I have things. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to tack this onto the end. This is sort of still talking about Gaslight. Um, I just want to recommend a podcast that I love and it's called Popcorn Psychology. And it's where, uh, licensed therapists review movies, blockbuster movies that you love and know. Uh, their very first episode is The Last Jedi, which is an excellent listen. I recommend that one. And um, they 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 break down the the traumas of the characters, and at the end they do a segment where they um, recommend what treatment they would do for the characters in the movie. And it is a fun and interesting listen. So I definitely recommend that. Um, I, that's all I was thinking of when I was watching Gaslighting because I I think they should do that, and I think I'm going to recommend them to review this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. But, um, as for myself, I have a small business. It's on Etsy. It's called Everfun Co. E V E R F U N C O. And I make um, earrings, headbands, and I have some t shirts, stickers, a couple of other accessories on there. So feel free to check it out. You're, <clears throat> you have no other social media you want to draw people to, or your Instagram or anything like that? Uh, my Instagram is everfunco as well. That's uh, my small business Instagram, but I don't post on there much anymore because I just don't like Instagram. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the episode then. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for taking us down memory lane from the video stop days. And Of course. Uh, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And thanks for helping me review these movies. Yeah. It was a good time. Bye.